This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. We've got early results from all the big races in yesterday's election, from Prop HH to the Denver School Board. And then me and producer Paul Caroli are talking to one of Denver's new faces on city council who won her election in June, and now she's doing the work. We'll talk about how she's already changed the mayor's mind about housing and homelessness twice. Today is Wednesday, November 8th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Um, Hey, speaking of recipes, did you ever make Michael Bennett's tofu stir fry that he told us about when he was on? I'm trying. No, I feel like his recipe was kind of basic and I like already knew how to do what he was doing. Ouch. It's election night. I have a good recipe. Well, I have a good recipe for making tofu crispy. It's not hard. It's it's the keys cornstarch, you know. Hi, Paul. It's election night. Seven almost 7.30. We just got the first results. Um, We're going to be talking about this in greater depth later in the week, I think, once we can pull back and have the clearer, bigger picture. But um, as of right now, Paul, what's what's the headline? What's the story tonight? Well, I think the top story is that voter turnout is low, um, but we kind of knew that was going to happen given that it's this off year. We don't have any really big races locally or statewide. Nationally, um, I just saw the results from Ohio. It looks like Ohio, my home state, my birth state, is going to codify abortion in their state constitution. That's big national election news. Um, And I got to tell you, Bree, I am so excited to be here and doing this. This election snuck up on me and I I got the bug. I am ready for 2024. I know. I was like, I feel like you're more excited than you have been all month. 100%. (laughs) I forgot how much I love this. Should we, I mean, we should get into what we know right now, which isn't much, but as of right this moment, I think the biggest thing we've been watching is Prop HH. Um, And this was, you know, this was Polis's big idea, and it was to slam the brakes on property tax rate increases. And um, it could be, in turn, would be taking a chunk from our Tabor refunds. Uh, what did, how did Prop HH shake out so far, Paul? Well, first to reiterate again, the uh, importance of this election, Governor Polis is not in the state today uh, to to see the vote happen or do any press conferences or anything. He's promoting his housing work at some governor's conference in Wyoming. Um, But anyway, it's looking like no is up. Um, It's still early tonight, um, but no does look up by 15, 20 percentage points. It's possible they come back tonight. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's looking like no, although anything could happen. I, I had no idea what to expect with this one. Interestingly, I think the margin for HH in Denver is the reverse. It's it's trending yes. Yeah. Um, but statewide right now, it's looking no, although that could change. That could change. Um, and even at that, it's kind of a, a story in and of itself because, you know, Kyle Clark was pointing this out on uh, X, X, and I'm not saying any other <laughs> name, but X, uh, earlier today that um, a few months ago they did a poll and it was way, way the other way. So one could infer um, that the more people learned about HH, the less they liked it. Yeah. And I would say too, there was so much information out there. Kyle Clark did a great job, like you said, of sort of breaking down some of the ads that we were seeing. And when I went to vote today, <laughs> actually look <laughs> at the ballot, the language on the ballot is pretty vague. There wasn't a ton. And so I could see where initially maybe folks got their ballots, weren't sure, and then did the research and changed their minds. Yeah, I think um, I think we'll have to wait till Friday to really get into that one. We've got a, an expert booked to to go into the whole history of the politics around this issue. So um, anyway, let's move on to the other hot one here for um, us here in Denver. Denver Public Schools Board. We had three seats up for grabs. Bree, what's happening there? Yeah, we were talking about this sort of the, there was the mayor's slate. So there was a group of mm -hmm. uh, folks running for these school board seats. There's three open seats, the uh, at-large and then two districts, District 5 and District 1. Um, on that slate were John Youngquist, uh, Marlene De La Rosa, and Kimberly Sia. And these folks are all reform movement, right? School reform Versus backed by some reformers, backed, so some high-power yes, Silicon Valley billionaire education reform types. Versus the current school board where um, a lot of these folks that are sitting are uh, backed by the teachers union. So that would be sort of not yeah. the other side of it. But um, but yeah, it looks like that mayor slate is doing pretty well so far. John Youngquist. Youngquist especially. Oh my gosh. He's kind of crushing. And this was this was the race with uh, Kwame Spearman and Brittany Johnson. Kwame, I think, was the other one folks were watching. And he's doing better than Brittany, but not anywhere near John Youngquist. I think, I think he's going to wow. clinch that one for sure. What an interesting story. Kwame Spearman this year. I mean, that's another one we'll talk about more, but. What a year. What a year. <laughs> what a year. What a year. Runs for um, mayor. Oh, wait, no. Becomes CEO of Tattered Cover. Runs for mayor. Yeah. Drops out of the mayor's race. Doesn't tell his own campaign. Gets, steps <laughs> down as CEO. Steps down. Tattered Cover declares bankruptcy. Runs for DPS board. And now what's, seems like he's not going to. What's gonna next? Win. What's next? Uh, what is next? <laughs> so. Ooh, I've got a good what's next. Okay. Davon Williams, the Englewood oh. school board uh, scammer who's running unopposed. Um, I have no idea what the results of the election are. I'm not checking. I don't even know how to find the election results on Englewood, but it doesn't matter. He was running unopposed. I do know Davon Williams turned himself in this week, uh, Sunday morning to um, Englewood police. Uh, he had an open arrest uh, charge. And you, uh, you reached out to him though, right? Oh yeah, I did. Well, I realized I haven't actually heard what he says about any of this. So I did. And he, um, I, that's how I learned how to pronounce his name, Davon. Uh, his LinkedIn page has a pronouncer. Um, so Davon Williams uh, is probably going to be the school board member for Englewood. Um, and he said, no comment. No, no comment. comment. No, no comment. comment. He might talk later on. A <laughs> um, couple more races that we were watching. Prop II. This is the one about the state keeping revenues from cigarette and nicotine for preschool. Looks like that's going to pass. I think, I'd, you know, we could have predicted that yeah, one. Yeah, I was like, what kind of Grinch was be like, let's give it back to the stores that's, I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. That would have been. A, Unless you're like a, taking a principled stance against sin taxes just yeah, on principle. True. 
which I would understand. Well, I mean, there was probably some people doing that. It wasn't like it didn't get any votes. So yeah, I mean, there's like uh, seventeen thousand now. Yeah. So I mean, we've got some anti-syntaxers, <laughs> anti-syntaxers, and people in the nicotine industry, perhaps the nicotine community. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, and then the last item, yeah, uh, referred question two P which is uh, making a funding stream that exists already permanent that would use uh, sales and use tax to pay for the Denver preschool program. So another kind of one of these reaffirming something that already exists and just making it permanent. So uh, we mm -hmm. said yes. And we said yes yeah. overwhelmingly on that one. Um, Bree, there, there's a few more races we should maybe address because we were both surprised that they existed when we <laughs> arrived at the Denver elections page tonight. <laughs> The, are you talking about the Denargo Market Metropolitan District vote? <laughs> yeah. What the heck is this? I don't. Ballot issue 6B? I'm feeling my urban planning, um, my urban planning antenna is up and I can't believe that I don't know what a metropolitan district is. I'm ashamed. I should. This feels very plannery to me. So we don't know what it is, but there were three, three districts to vote on in this Denargo Market mm -hmm. situation and it was votes in the dozens. Oh, yeah. Hotly contested. I mean, some of these are 16 to 13. So, I mean, that's too close to call, obviously. We'll have the results of the whole Denargo market situation later this week. Potential we'll figure out upset. what that is. Yeah. Potential upset. Who knows? Who knows? Um, hey, maybe if you know, you could tell us. But uh, if you have any thoughts about this off your election and how you voted or what you thought about I don't know this whole thing. Give us a call on the off year election hotline 720-500-5418. Again, our off year election hotline is 720-500-5418. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Denver's new councilwoman for District 8, Chantel Lewis. And she's going to talk to us about life after you get elected and why she says the honeymoon period is over. I'm here with producer Paul Caroli. Hey, Bree. And Chantel Lewis. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Councilwoman Chantel Lewis. There you go. First time I've talked to you since. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> council member. You know, last time you were on, you were on the RTD board. Mm -hmm. RTD was your passion. Now you're on city council. I, I feel like that's a lot more responsibility, a lot more voices to take into consideration. Does it feel like more pressure? Absolutely so. Yeah. Absolutely so. I mean, the pressure is different, but um, it's certainly intensified. Um, it's interesting to go from being on the RTD board where you were responsible for 200,000 constituents because the issues are so diverse. Um, it's a lot more pressure, right, to get it right, to have the conversations with the right folks. And so, you know, it's it's a lot. <laughs> Do you get more angry emails now or did you get more before? Because I think I would bet RTD you probably get more angry emails. That's a great question. Too early to say? I don't know you if it's time. too early to say. I just You haven't made a lot of people I mad yet. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I, I think I've made a few people mad. Um, but I, I guess I just don't pay attention to the angry em emails, like the qual quantity of angry emails. Mm. And it's more about figuring out how to solve for it. And so, I don't know. I guess I just don't pay attention to it. That's a smart way to go about it, honestly. You know, I got to sustain. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, all right, well, speaking of making some people mad, the news of the week here is that it's crunch time for the city budget. That's the main yeah. thing we wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Um, just in case this is the first time anyone is is hearing us talk about the budget, let me give you a little background. Um, it's been a few months now of back and forth. First, Johnston, our new mayor, put out his proposal. You all came back, and then he came back, and now you all are going to come back again and be like, here's what we want. That's right. Um, $1.74 billion. Uh, I want to talk about what is clear to me has been the biggest disagreement between you all on council and Mayor Johnston. Sure. Um, we, we talked to him about it. It's rental assistance, eviction, eviction defense. He said uh, he he didn't want to put as much money toward it as you all have been. I think there's like a, a $17 million gap. Um, why is he wrong? Um, back to the data. Right, let's go back to the data, the number of evictions that we've seen in 2023, but also the number of predicted evictions in 2024. Uh, the $30 million that we're talking about for rental assistance actually only covers half of the evictions that we're expecting in 2024. And so we can't say that we're solving homelessness, right, that we have a keen eye on solving homelessness if we're not um, able to allocate dollars to prevent homelessness as well. And so you got to be able um, to do both. And in October, rental assistance ran out this year. Right. And so wh what are we talking about here? We're talking about keeping folks, folks housed um, and that should be the ultimate goal. So I just I have I have a thought. I had a friend who went bankrupt this year uh, for the for the first time in his life. He's on rental assistance and he also is a developer. So he understands how housing gets built. And he was talking to me about his concerns about rental assistance are they fix it in the short term, but they're just giving money back to these large corporations that have these cozy relationships with eviction lawyers. And it's just perpetuating a process. Is there something beyond rental assistance that we could do? Is this a temporary situation? Yeah. I mean, I think we have to think about how we house folks differently. Um, so I, I love any opportunity that you all provide me to talk about social housing. I think historically we have not done housing well um, in how we develop housing. And social housing is an opportunity for us to look at um, folks not paying more than 20 to 35 percent of their um, incomes on housing, right? And that's a different model. So you have folks who make $20,000 or $200,000 that are living in the same um, development. Um, and so social housing is, a, I think, the direction that our city should be moving in. And I would say that Mayor Johnson and his administration maybe slightly agree on that. Maybe we got a little work to do to get to okay. that full agreement. And I'll tell you why. You know, when we came, when I came into council, <clears throat> What I learned is that we would buy properties and then give those properties to the Denver Housing Authority. And so what I had when I had conversations with the mayor, I said, we should be keeping our own assets. It provides us with an opportunity to be able to have control over those assets as well. Um, and so the next purchase that happened, Mayor Johnson said, and I want to let you know, Councilwoman Lewis, we own this asset because I did hear you. And so I think we're getting closer to social housing Very as a model. Yeah, um, I would not have predicted that from him. He <laughs> seems to be more on the other side of thinking about housing, at least to me. I can be very persuasive. I believe you. I believe you. I don't know if I totally understand the social housing thing, though. So, like, is is that the model? Just like the government buys buildings or builds buildings owned, so that it would be government owned, yep. like apartment complexes. Yep. We would build in, and then and then everyone people who are coming in and paying us rent. Yeah, a certain percentage of their income. So okay. the, the models that that we've studied is between 20 to 35% of their incomes. I'm not attached to those numbers. I think that needs to be worked out mm -hmm. um, as we get further down the line. 
Hmm. Yeah. It's an um, interesting and, idea. And so it's an opportunity um, for us to um, mix different income levels, but also for us to not concentrate poverty. And that's what we've done um, historically in this country. So. so that's like the old school idea of the project. Exactly right. right. Which is where we concentrate everybody mm-hmm. of a certain income. Yep. Or And then, but this idea is, I mean, we kind of see this in like the Mariposa redevelopment is mm-hmm. like different tiers of incomes live together. Yeah. In the same bill, you don't know from the outside exactly who lives where versus like the Reds. Everybody knew the Reds were you know, exactly right. You know, the Big Newton. You, yep, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So it's just like so a, you move away from that. So it's like not just about mixing the incomes, but um, allowing for it to feel like a, a real city in a sense. Yeah. Because I just think about like a New York City fifty years ago looked more like that kind of thing, yeah. where you wouldn't know from the outside who was paying what. Yeah, exactly right. Um, let's move on to another source of disagreement between you all in council and sure. Mayor Johnston, and also between me and Bree and within myself, I can say, <laughs> the last few years. This Denver Basic Income Project, it's such an interesting new thing that has happened. Um, and again, I'll catch listeners up. Uh, this is an experiment funded by a founded by a rich dude, Mark Donovan, who during the pandemic felt bad and guilty and decided to start giving money to unhoused people on the street, I think. And now here we are a few years later and he's got fancy partners like DU. And so now this former mayor Hancock gave him $2 million for the first wave of beneficiaries last year. Johnston didn't approve anything for them. Now you all, I think are talking about this today. The latest I saw was council was suggesting $3 million. But the whole point of this is to help unhoused people, right? So like that's $3 million that could be going towards Johnston's House 1000 efforts. Why is it better to send it to this basic income project. You got to think about getting folks housed as a multi-pronged approach, right? Like there are different avenues that you can go about addressing and tackling the issue of homelessness um, in terms of developing housing or keeping folks housed. The Denver basic income specifically works with those that are unsheltered. um, And the point is to give them unconditional dollars to make the best decisions for their lives, right? They had 800 participants in the Denver basic income project. um, And many of them reported positive outcomes in terms of that unconditional cash from being able to access housing, um, to be able to um, buy tools um, for work. Um, And so I, I just think of this as like another opportunity. So when we talk about social housing, that's one lens. When we talk about rental assistance, that's another. Um, and then when we talk about the Denver Bas- Basic Income Project, it's an opportunity to to give folks dollars to get them into housing, right? But but it's the thing, it's the different strategies thing that's bothering me because like we all agree on the problem here. Everybody in the city knows what the problem is, and we used democracy to elect Mike Johnston. Mm-hmm. He was very popular. Do you not see that as a mandate for his chosen strategy? Um, I see it as an opportunity, but I also see it within council powers, right? Like the point of having different uh, levels of governments is for that those checks and balances. And so, if he proposes his budget, we can amend that budget. Um, that's what that's within the power and authority of the council. And so, I think it's us utilizing um, that that power. And I think one thing that council has recognized is that we are so much stronger together than we are divided. In fact, we're stronger than the mayor, which is why we were very excited about that 13 co-sponsors for rental assistance because um, there's strength in numbers. You can override his veto. That's exactly right. Hmm. So I read in Denverite that the Denver Basic Income Project did not accept any participants with, quote, severe unaddressed mental health or substance abuse needs. I'm a person in recovery. I struggle with 
that being a criteria, yeah. why are those things relevant for this project? I'm not sure, to be completely honest with you, Bree. Um, I don't know the details to that degree um, of the project. I just know that the basic income project has gotten a lot of folks that were unsheltered into housing, um, and we've seen success in the program. Um, I also know that if we don't fund this program, that those 800 participants, particularly the ones that have been able to access housing from those dollars, would no longer have that those dollars and would potentially end up on our streets. I want to talk about the basic income project just like a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Because it, it sounds like there's still a conversation happening. It could change. Uh, I saw the same data you did. I read the reports from the basic income project. I saw the same increases in outcomes. We've seen, you know, uh, that's the expected result when you invest money in something, that there would be positive outcomes. We'll see those from Mayor Johnston's uh, project as well for all the individuals that go through it, I'm sure. But comparatively, there's no, there was nothing in any of their reports comparing their approach to these other strategies that we've seen data for. Such as? Such as the Houston model, the housing first model. That's the difference. He's giving money first, Johnson doing housing first. Why is why is money better? I think it's both and, right? It's the strategy of both and. And I don't I don't subscribe to being able to think about things in black or white and or. Um, I think they're, again, going back to the multi-pronged strategy to ad addressing um, housing and those that are unsheltered is we can we can walk and chew gum, right? We're dynamic enough to be able to do both. And so we, we can fund the Denver Basic Income Project as a part of the strategy to get folks housed and to keep folks housed. We could fund rental assistance. We can be studying social housing at the same time. And so I think about it as an opportunity to just be... Um, to, to be diverse in the strategies in which we employ to um, tackle the issue of homelessness. I want to talk about encampments because I think this is probably the, one of the biggest issues we've been talking about over the last couple of years. Um, there was, I, there's, I want to give listeners a little backstory that's something that happened recently with you and the mayor. There was a very large encampment in your district and you got to notice that it was going to be swept. What happened next? What did you do? Well, um, I reached out to the mayor and his administration and I said, um, per your words, you said that you were not going to sweep encampments unless um, it was for public health, public safety, or if they had access to housing. None of the three existed for this encampment um, specifically. And I said, I'd love for you to come with me to that encampment and visit um, the folks who are in that encampment. Um, and he did. He came out. Um, and, you know, he was we talked about their need for trash, right, their need for um, toilets. And he agreed um, not only to those amenities, but also to not sweep um, the folks and, and gave them um, specifically the individuals, the residents living in that encampment, his word that they would not be swept. Um, and he kept that. He kept his word. Um, and of, it's a pretty cool story. I mean, well, thanks. That's that's how government's <laughs> supposed to work, right? I mean, how did that feel? That that's just amazing to me. Oh, it was. I I cried. You know, to be honest with you, I mean, those folks in in that encampment and all of my encampments in my district, um, it's family to me. It's personal to me. I was very very excited to see that they got that resource, and that's only they're the oh, the second um, folks who have received that resource um, at the encampments, and so it was a big deal. You're not going to manage every encampment, though. You've got a lot I of can't. work to do. Do you trust that the mayor is going to continue to do sort of what you, you asked in this particular situation? I trust that he will, and I trust that I'll hold him accountable if he does not. 
Yeah, that's the next stage, right? The honeymoon <laughs> phase has to end at some point no. and then it gets real. And what is that going to look like? It's already real for me. <laughs> Tell me about that. What's 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 the realest part? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we it's the balance. It's the balance of homeowners, business owners, those that are unsheltered, right? Um, those are in our community that are, are suffering from violence in our communities. Like it, it's the myriad of issues that um, I'm having to hold at the same time um, as an individual councilwoman, but also as someone... When I, who I think has a different lens than many members of our council um, and even our mayor. And so, um, you know, with the, the housing that is coming online in District 8, we have three that are coming online in District 8 um, that are directly tied to the House 1000 plan. That's the vision of the mayor, right? It's not mm -hmm. the vision of council, um, but we have a responsibility as council to make sure that District 8 doesn't hold the majority or the burden of um, solving homelessness, that the entire city does so. And so when I talk about it being real, like it's me making sure I'm pushing my colleagues to be sure that they are bringing those sites online in their districts as well, um, particularly districts that may not want folks that are unsheltered just, in their yeah. communities. We just saw this happen over the weekend. Exactly. Um, in Southeast Denver, another micro community site has now been put off or shut down. And I'm in a similar district to you in that district three, and we've um, shouldered this responsibility. How are you putting pressure on your colleagues whose uh, constituents are saying no? Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to be courageous. I think as as individual council members, we also have to be fair, right? Um, and if we all are going to solve this issue of homelessness, like we have to be serious about doing that, not just in words but also in action. Um, I can put pressure on my colleagues, but really the strength is from you all to put pressure on those individual council members to make sure that we're all sh shouldering that burden. Councilwoman Chantel Lewis, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. Thank you so much. After we sat down with Chantel earlier this week, she and the rest of Denver City Council reached an agreement with Mayor Mike Johnston on rental assistance. And it seems that Chantel was persuasive again. Their deal brings the budget for 2024 rental assistance to almost $30 million, which is not so far off from Council's initial proposal. We'll be following this relationship closely as it develops. And we really want to keep you informed on the important issues our local government is dealing with. So if you have a question or a concern, we'll do the dirty work or at least find the person who does. Call the CCD hotline today and leave us a voicemail or a text at 720-500-5418. Again, that number is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell your new school board director about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. I'm here with producer Paul Caroli. Is that you? Anyone? Paul Terrence Caroli? Who's, who's he? Party of one? What? Paul Terrence Never Caroli. So Last thrown. call. Paul Terrence Caroli.